On this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show, we're talking a new historical moto doc featuring a Pacific Northwest motorcycle racing legend, Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour and why you should ride, and new openings in the Pacific Northwest, including a new motorcycle shop and a new moto-themed restaurant. All that and so much more ahead on this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by... I-90 Motorsports, your Eastside destination for Honda, Yamaha, Triumph, KTM, Suzuki, and Can-Am sales and service. Does your taste for outdoor fun go beyond two wheels? I-90 Motorsports has you covered with a wide range of sleds, watercraft, UTVs, and side-by-sides too. Check them out online today at i90motorsports.com. This is Rob from Motofic Group. Welcome to the Soundwriter Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Motorcycle riders from across the Pacific Northwest and around the world this is the Sound Rider Show, the February edition where you might ask, what are two motorcycle guys going to talk about in the dead of winter? Well, we're about to find out. Charting that course with his trusty benchmark atlas in hand and joining me as always, publisher and founder of Sound Rider, Mr. Tom Marin, and headed to parts unknown, I, of course, am self-appointed editor-at-large, Mr. Derek Roberts. Well, Tom... Here we are. It's February. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy President's Day. What else you got going on? Happy Mardi Gras. There you go. Yeah. Fat Tuesday. Now we're talking. Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras. All Maybe we'll stuff. get into that a little later when we talk about cafe to cafe. Uh, maybe we will, yeah. Yeah. So um, what's going on, man? What do you do, though, on, uh, on your end? Anything uh, exciting coming up? Uh, what's, uh, tell me a little bit about the... The Riding Life of Tom Marin, Memoirs. Well, I thought it might be fun for us in the beginning of the show here to uh, talk about some wild stories from our motorcycling adventures. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. So how about if we have you go first? Oh, okay. Have a Put wild story this... to share? Yeah. Well, let's, let me uh, think back here a little bit. I actually, uh, I'm going to ask you a question because I'm going to talk about a little bit. Do you remember your first water crossing? As an adventure motorcycle rider? Mm, well, I remember my first big one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I, for me, I can remember. I was thinking about that um, it, just the other day, actually, because I was watching, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so popular for people to share, like, on Instagram, their water crossings and that kind of thing. And usually the ones are successful, and that's, mine was fortunately successful thinking back. But I remember the nervousness I had because mine actually occurred and I know I've talked a little bit about how when I first learned to ride, uh, you know, I was just a few weeks after my endorsement and I headed for Central America on my KLR 250. Wow. So my first real water crossing. Yeah, I remember it actually it happened in Guatemala where a road somewhere, God knows where, had been washed out. And I came around this bend and there, of course, was nobody out there. I mean, just miles from anything. The road had been washed out. And it looked like the water was probably about knee level going through there. Mm-hmm. 
So pretty good. And the river was still running, running over it, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I mean, I knew nothing about adventure motorcycling. So I had not read about water crossings. Actually, I obviously knew that they were going to be out there, but I hadn't studied it. I didn't know, you know, if your bike tips over and, you know, like gets washed downstream, like how to recover from that, anything. So <laughs> I see this, I stop. And I go, I, this, this probably isn't a good idea. I'm riding solo, obviously. So I turn around and I ride about 15 minutes back and then I pull over and I kind of, I didn't have a map with me either. I was doing everything off of, essentially I was looking at my phone GPS and it would show you kind of as a blue dot on the map. And I was just heading in general directions, north, south, east, or west. (laughs) Yeah. So I look at the phone and I'm like, I don't think there's really any legitimate way around this i think that it's just kind of you know i think i'm gonna be riding all day to try to navigate this if i don't take this particular road and go through this water crossing so i said well i guess if you know it's a it's a klr 250 it was worth about 1500 bucks probably at the time Uh, well if it gets washed downstream hopefully i don't get washed with it so i rode back and I kind of assessed it. And, you know, obviously now looking back, especially riding solo, you think maybe it's not a good idea to do it. At the very least, get off the bike and walk it to know how deep it is, to know the conditions underneath. But I just said to hell with it. And I, wasn't, I didn't stand. I wasn't standing on the pegs. I had no experience. I just sat and I just gave it steady throttle on this old carbureted 250. And I just went for it. How, how high up did the water me, go? Uh, it, well, it was about knee high, so <laughs> it was it was pretty it was pretty dicey on this old lightweight motorcycle, and again riding solo out there. But you didn't have to wash your air filter later, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as is uh, known with my my current ride, it doesn't get washed a lot, but certainly this KLR two fifty did not see uh, any maintenance. Um, I saw a tire change on that trip, and that was it a uh, rear tire change. Uh, but I went for it, and somehow I made it across. And I remember getting to the other side, and I wanted to stop and take a picture, but I was I was so scared that it had taken on water. I didn't want to kill the engine, so I oh, just yeah. kept going. I, just, I was just like, <laughs> forget it. And I just kept riding, and somehow I made it. But that was my first water crossing, and uh, it still makes me um, it still makes me pucker a little bit thinking back about that because it could have gone a lot of different ways but uh fortunately i made it so there's one sort of wild story from my past i mean no bar fights or anything on that but uh certainly uh one that i I will always remember my first big one was in uh the Mahler forest crossing the Mahler river in oregon Mm. and we there was five of us and we arrived at the water crossing and parked the bikes and kind of assessed it but you couldn't and if you're going to walk out there, it was it was a couple hundred feet across because it was wow. really wide at that point. So um, we weren't really sure how we were going to approach this. And then after about 20 minutes of dilly-dallying around and thinking about this, a Subaru Outback pulls up. And we watch him cross. And the water's only like six inches anywhere along the way <laughs> we just jumped on our bikes and we all crossed right then yeah if you're there out there on an adventure bike and uh nothing against the subaru outback community but if a subaru goes ahead of you 
you're kind of pot committed at that point, right? Yeah. Like, you got to do it. I mean, it was summertime, so there was no heavy flow or anything like that. So it worked out. Yeah. But even still, you know, a little, like, six inches of depth, especially on a long water crossing on a rocky river, man. I mean, how many times is a boulder uh, the size of a, a grapefruit taken out a motorcycle trying to go across? Yeah, that's the thing. And so once you get up in a place like that, you can kind of look down and see in there and see where, where the actual tire lines are. Try to avoid that, hopefully. Hopefully. But, you know, right. you're not supposed to be looking down when you ride. You're supposed to be looking straight ahead, but... I don't know. Yes, look where you want to go, not mm-hmm. uh, what you want to avoid, right? That's the old adage. So, yeah, so that's that's my water crossing. I like it. Well, what about other uh, wild motorcycle story? Do you have do you have, I mean, a long career in motorcycling, I'm sure it's tough to pick just one. Uh yeah, I'll just I'll just come up with one. I, I you know, we can bench race all day about these things, but um I'm trying to get to uh the Sasquatch location in Idaho 2 summers ago. And I get on the bike and I start riding east because we got to, you know, got to leave Seattle and get out there. And I'm going to go up over uh, Highway 2. Right. So um, I get going and I hit, I get just north of Woodenville and the bike just completely dies. And oh. I can't, I can't determine what did it. I'm going through it and trying to figure it out. Can't find anything. So I call a tow truck. I have to take it all the way into Seattle because they won't work on it at the local dealer up there. So uh, bring it into Seattle. They get it running. And I get on the bike, and now I'm making my way back out east, and I'm already about two or three hours behind. So uh, I'm supposed to meet Connie that night in uh, outside of Spokane. And so uh, I'm coming on Highway 2, dropping down – into uh, the Columbia Gorge, you know, the, the, the Columbia Gorge area that's up there along Highway 2. Sure. And I'm coming down that big hill with a little sweeper on the end of it at the bottom, and the bike died again. I'm yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Pull the bike over, start pushing stuff around, uh, tinker with the spark plug wire. Well, sure enough, it lit up. So I got it all the way out there, and then uh, next day we got into Idaho and started going through the bike with a couple of the Brainiac guys, and what it was was the, the actual wire at the plug point had loosened up, and so we had to pull that off and then kind of screw that all back in and get it right. So uh, Monday I rode it, and... Everything was fine. Tuesday, I decided I wouldn't do the loop ride up over Lolo Pass with the guys. And uh, I'd stay back and just go through the bike and really get stuff right. Yeah. Uh, so I drained out the carbs, and I'd never seen such black gasoline in my life. <laughs> so uh, I drained that out, and then I, th- I think, well, hey, uh, maybe I should do this a couple more times. And it took until like the fifth or sixth time before I could get it to run clear. That's how much dirt was down in the float bowls of the carb. Good Lord. So uh got the bike running all good. And so Wednesday morning, got up, did the rider meeting, took off. I was ahead of everybody else. And that's when that dog jumped out. And that was the end of that bike. Whew. After all that maintenance. I know. It yeah. was gonna you know, it was gonna be a really good day over Magruder, but no 
little dog had to end my poor motorcycle's lifetime with me. So anyhow, um, what else are we doing here? Well, that was a a wild couple of days there, right? Well, it turned into being a wild couple of months, I guess, for you on the uh, That's true, yeah, because I went uh, into a sling and uh, took an ambulance ride and ran the rest of that tour out of the passenger seat of the Honda Element. (laughs) Well, that's one way to experience it. Not the Honda you want to do particular. I mean, maybe you didn't take the Element on Magruder, but – You'd rather much much rather be on two wheels than four, all things considered. You don't want to take the element on Magruder. You'll just no. blow up the struts. I managed to blow them up every hundred thousand miles, anyways. So why do it early? Well, that's not that's not too bad. But uh, yeah, Magruder <laughs> will make the shorten that lifespan significantly, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Let's talk about maybe uh, you know some some events coming up some sound rider events coming up maybe folks will have some wild stories of their own to tell uh going to or from but uh speaking of wild just the last year in general and the year ahead a little unpredictable but what's going on in the uh the sound rider world for events so okay so uh we we typically do four events a year that's the rally in the gorge the cafe to cafe grand tour the sasquatch dual sport gps Adventure Tour and the Road Trip GPS Tour. Uh, This year, we will only be doing two events. For certain, we are doing Cafe to Cafe, and you and I are going to talk about that in the third segment. Yep, coming up. Um, For certain, well, pretty, pretty much for certain, we'll be doing the Rally in the Gorge, because I think by that point, anybody who wanted the vaccine will have it. We will have hit herd immunity probably by by august and so uh, as long as oregon state says it's okay we're going to do the rally in the gorge uh yeah well fingers crossed the two events that will not happen this year are going to be the sasquatch tour and the road trip tour and the reason being because the way it's been the last few years with all the dang fires uh it's just becoming impossible to run tours at the end of the summer so we have to run those tours at the end of May or early June and try to escape any fire stuff. Sometimes there's even fire stuff then, but but usually less likely. And we don't get those super smoggy days that just hang on and the air quality goes to 500, even if we do get fires in June or whatever. So um, we can't we can't pre-ride very successfully and we can't assure that we're going to be able to run a successful tour and a safe tour. We can't, by May, we're not at, we're probably not at herd immunity. So uh, those two events will not be happening this year, but the Cafe to Cafe is going to be happening and the Rally in the Gorge, as far as we know at this point, that'll be happening. Uh, Anybody who was going to go to the BMW Rally in Montana, at this point, we haven't heard it's not going to happen. That's at the end of June, and we're scheduled to be vendors at that rally. So uh, if it's going to happen, and uh, uh, if, if I can get the vaccination by then, Connie will have already gotten it, then we will be in Montana. So well, everything kind of has to fall into place. Sure. Well, at least a little bit of light at the uh, at the end of the tunnel. And just to kind of elaborate, you know, on road trip in Sasquatch, it's I, I, sir, I the whole forest fire thing. I mean, you spend weeks planning these and then all of a sudden a forest fire hits a week before you leave. And now you've got to try to 
make up for eight weeks of planning within a week. It's just it's the so volume much. of work that goes into that is just I, – I, I think you're making the right call there. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I know on that. Well, that's good. Like I said, a little light at the end of the tunnel here. And, uh, I, you know, early in the season, as our uh, calendar certainly illustrates or lack thereof today, um, there's not a lot going on in the next couple of months here. So everybody, I think, is kind of in that holding pattern mode, like you mentioned, for uh, some of the Sound Rider events. And we're just going to have to wait and see. But as we'll talk about later, the Cafe to Cafe, uh, there's still plenty of opportunities to get out and ride on your own. And we want to encourage people to at least do that so that they're fresh when these, uh, when these events do return. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a little break. we got a real interesting News Bites segment coming up here. We'll be right back. Support for the Sound Riders Show is provided in part by Cascade Motorcycle Safety. Featuring two ranges located in Anacortes and Bellingham, Cascade Motorcycle Safety offers beginner and intermediate rider courses and is certified to test riders for their motorcycle endorsement. For more information, visit their website at Cascade Motorcycle Safety today. Hi, my name is Dan Muir. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. I ride, among other bikes, an R1150GS, and my favorite local ride is to uh, head up to Fort Townsend in the afternoon just for a cup of coffee. This is David Christensen with Tucker Rocky, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Welcome back to the February edition of the Sound Rider Show. And as we alluded to, not much in the way of the calendar this month, but News Bites is overflowing. So uh, lots of moving and shaking going on, not just here in the Pacific Northwest, but all throughout the world. And where do you want to start, Tom? There's a lot of good stuff to choose from here. Let's start with the local stuff first. Okay. Uh, uh, a couple of fellas out of uh, Oregon area. Uh, got handed to them a lot of film footage and history on a racer named Ray Tosher, who raced, I believe he was in, uh, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but it was like the 30s. And I uh, actually won like uh, several world titles. I'd never really heard of him before, but uh, these guys who got the, the footage handed to them from the local club down there, uh, are actually quite good at putting together video documentaries. So they put together a movie, and uh, we have a link to it from our Facebook page in the News Bites feed. And uh, it's quite quite fun to watch. A lot of good, uh, a lot of good footage. A lot of good history. I didn't know. And hey, you know, it's uh, February. What else are you gonna do, huh? Yeah, well, I'm just I just pulled up the uh, the web page for that here, and it looks like he is a he's a Portland native. He was born in Portland in 1905, and uh, started racing in 1923, 1931. He won international championship titles in the UK, Europe, and Australia. Yeah, and uh, was a leading proponent of motorcycle racing here in the United States and on the West Coast all throughout the 30s. It sounds like in this film has won already quite a few film festival awards too. Yeah. Yeah, 
And in fact, uh, I believe in, in there somewhere, um, he was going into England to do one of the races, and they said, you can't come in here because you keep winning, and, and this is England. We want our guys to win. Wow. And so all the because... racers are like, the heck with that? Let him in here. Yeah, you want to beat the best, certainly. Yeah. Well, it certainly looks like a, uh, a, a very cool film. And uh, you, Have you had the chance to watch the whole thing? I have, yeah. It's yeah. only like 17 minutes or so, I think. Okay. But it's, so, uh, it's, a good, it's a good watch. Yeah, well, very cool. This sounds like a, a real winner here. And uh, like you said, too, I, this is a name that I had never heard, but it sounds like really a big piece of Northwest motorcycling history. Yeah. As I, as I go through this industry up here, I realize more and more there's, there's lots of little stories like that around. And, and when you can find... You know, it's not all just evil Knievel stories. There's there's lots of people that are under radar that we, we haven't heard of in 30 or 40 years, but the stuff is out there. It certainly is. Yeah, very rich uh, history in motorcycling all throughout the region here. So very cool find. And uh, hats off to these guys for making what looks like a great film. I'm going to have to uh, take a chance to uh, to watch this. You said 17 minutes long, and it looks like the whole thing is right up on their webpage for you to watch, actually. Yeah, it's at, uh, at com. T-A-U-S-C-H-E-R. And if you didn't write that down, just go to the Facebook page for Soundwriter or the News Bites page, and you'll find a link there. That's very cool, man. What a find. I like that. So uh, down in Bend, Oregon... The guys at Giant Loop continue to redesign their products. Uh, they, they stick with a lot of their original gear. They've been making the Mojave and the Coyote bags for ever since their inception back in, I think it was 2008. But they've done a redesign, and so there's a new product coming on the market uh, out of Giant Loop in Oregon. Yeah, and good reason to stick with uh, some of those heritage lines there. Very popular, not just here in the U.S., but all around the world. So uh, hats off to those guys. I mean, you stick with what what works. I mean, I know they made a lot of improvements along the way, but fantastic bags for worldwide travel, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was an interesting article that came up in the Seattle Times. I put a link to that in the News Bites as well. And uh, it, was a, it was a sort of a little fun mud fest called Tour de Farm out in Carnation, Washington. A uh, small group of people went out there and uh, got the farm real gooey, real muddy, and then uh, held a, a little small-time competition. But one of the writers for the Times went out there with his camera and his pen and documented it. So uh, there again, you can catch the link and read the articles. It's It's, it's just people having fun when there's... When there's nothing else to do, you know. Well, nothing wrong with that. Even if there is something else to do, that's uh, some would say the meaning of life is to have fun, right? Or get dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes they go hand in hand. I would say. Uh, let's see. Okay, so it's winter, so it's a little too cold, or it's been a little too cold for Idaho Star to be teaching uh, motorcycle safety program, but. Um, they have started back up effective this month. So if you're out in the Idaho area, you want to get some training, uh, training is back open again. And I know all throughout, uh, I think, the Pacific Northwest, I know a lot of our friends here in Washington are still doing classes and that kind of thing. So don't wait because every year when you talk to schools, they go, hey, you know, people call up a weekend ahead of the, the training class and they go, I want to get endorsed to ride a motorcycle. And 
classes are sold out. So make sure you're making those reservations in advance. Good point. And remember, you don't have to have a bike in order to get the training because they have a bike waiting for you at the training facility. That's right. Yep, all in one. So just go down there and learn to ride and have some fun. So over over the 20 years that we've been doing Soundrider, is it 20 or 22? 22. We're going on Woo. 22. Wow. Uh, we've seen uh, moto-themed restaurants come and go. Uh, the anchor on that continues to be Cafe Veloce over in Kirkland, Washington. Um, but we're getting a new one down in the Portland area, and it's called Parts and Service. It just opened, and uh, they'll be doing uh, – oh, they got moto-themed stuff in there. they got bikes on the wall. they got uh, barbecue. they got burgers. So uh, if you're down in the Portland area and you want to go check it out, uh, you're going to look for parts and service pdx.com. And I never get tired of this. I love it. Motorcycle themed restaurants, coffee shops, as long as they bring it with uh, the goods on the food and beverage end and uh, you tie in that motorcycle lineage, I'm, I can never have enough of this. So I can't wait to, to get down to Portland and to have a chance to try this out because uh, this is what it's all about. Live to ride, ride to eat, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I would say uh, go soon because historically we don't these these places don't seem to last more than three to five years. Now we we wish them well and we hope they have a nice long run, but uh, don't wait. You know, get down there, check it out, and then go again in a couple of years if they're still there. Show your support as much and as often as possible. You got to have an excuse to ride, doggone it. Yeah, I agree. Go down to PDX and then break off for the Oregon coast. There you go. Uh, let's see, up in uh, Burlington, Washington, that's uh, north of Seattle area, we uh, saw the closure of North Cascades Harley-Davidson several months ago. And uh, Derek, you, you bumped into a new shop. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's right. So a few employees from that uh, North Cascades Harley have started uh, just off of Highway 20 to the east from I-5 there, Cobra Cycles where they're going to be doing uh, parts, service, and I think they have plans for some accessories and some used motorcycles as well. But they just literally, as we record, opened their doors uh, two or three weeks ago now. So a brand-new shop and a great location and a really cool setup there too. And I was you know, thrilled because the whole closure of North Cascades Harley kind of came as a surprise to a lot of people in the motorcycle community. And I'm I'm really happy to see some uh, of the employees, former employees there, taking some initiative on their own and carrying on the uh, the legacy of uh, service and uh, support for motorcycling in that area because it's just it's a great place to ride. Well, and they need it up there because you know the the, the nearest Harley shop now is in Smoky Point, right? And so uh, there's the you know we lost the Harley shop up in Bellingham some years ago, and then we lost this North Cascades. Harley Davidson shop, and so there's nothing for the market up there, and people need service and need parts, need tires, you know. Well, hundred percent. And uh, these guys, it looks like they're going to be there to deliver, and I think I think they're going to be around for a long time. Some of uh, some really great folks and really knowledgeable folks too have been in that cruiser market for for many many years. So if you're in the area, just pop in, you know, say hello. I'm sure they'd love to uh, give you a cup of coffee and show you around. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, break out of the Northwest now, and we'll, we'll go a, a little bit across the country. Uh, folks who do the AmeriCade rally 
have announced that they are readjusting their dates this year. This kind of sounds like an echo from our first conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are moving the dates of AmeriCade to the end of September. It will be September 21st through the 25th this year, rather than doing it in June as they would typically do. Well, that's Which I, and I think we're going to see a lot of that, right? I mean, I think a lot of these early summer events, I think pretty quickly are going to hedge their bets to end of summer just in hopes that they don't have to cancel for a second year in a row, which it seems to make sense. And I think we're going to see a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we haven't heard the last of this. This is going to no, happen. Certainly not. Certainly not. Uh, let's see. Triumph has announced that they are going to pay. If you buy a new bike from them, they're going to pay for your first training module. So it's called the Triumph Learn to Ride program. Now, it uh, seemed a little bit awkward to me when I saw it. I thought, wow, they're going to pay the whole boat on the training? And the fact is, no, they're not. <laughs> they're going to pay okay. for a sort of a uh, uh, an introduction training course, which is a couple of hours online. But then after that, you're going to have to go to a state-certified program if you want to continue your training, get your endorsement. Some states require you have the training. Uh, Oregon does. We don't. But uh, that's the reality of that program is you'll get, a, I think it's a two- to three-hour online course from Triumph. And then you're going to go and do the rest of the stuff. And well, and I want – Go ahead. I was going to say I wonder if maybe they have uh... – long-term vision of maybe trying to navigate all the different state-to-state regulations. And this is a way to kind of get the ball rolling for that. Well, I, I, you know, as, as I've said for years, and a lot of people say this, you can never know too much. So if you can get a little introductory course under your belt before you start the regular class, uh, you'll already be a couple steps ahead. Totally and, agree. And uh, never hurts to have a couple things pounded into your brain a few more times. So... Uh, I did think it was odd, you know, that Triumph was doing this because what's the smallest Triumph on the market? It's like uh, 700 cc's or whatever. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, six or 700 cc's, right? I think the. That's a the, pretty big bike for your first bike, you know? It could, it can be, but they are, you know, I mean, seat dimension wise, right? I mean, if you're going to go with one of their uh, Scramblers or like a Bonneville or something like that, I mean, that's, that's a fairly, fairly mild motorcycle. Can't get into too much trouble, huh? Right. They got a way to put but, training wheels on those. Uh, <laughs> I think you get to recruit two of your friends, and then you just you stick your arms out, and they just they walk you around. That's how you learn. Hey, I, that was my favorite part of uh, MSF class was uh, <laughs> the first exercise was getting off the motorcycle and pushing it around. I like that. Well, it, as anybody knows, once you do start riding uh, – that's when a lot of drops happening is, is in the parking lot, pushing it around. Yeah. Yeah. You don't Get realize how it. big that thing is. No, you don't. And the good thing is it's their bike, so you can drop it and who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the class there. But hey, speaking of big bikes pushing around in the parking lot, uh, how about this BMW R18? Well, I'd like to push that one around in the parking lot a little bit. Man, that's a beautiful bike. I'm I'm blown away by it, actually. I think BMW nailed it uh, to such a high degree on that. Uh, to come out with a cruiser, you know, which is not really, obviously not their 
not their thing. But man, when you see this in person, that eighteen hundred cc engine, woo! Yeah, but so so, but what we're talking about here, are we talking about the Spirit of Passion bike? Uh, well, I don't know too much about the Spirit of Passion. So, so the I would Spirit of Passion is a one-off. Uh, there'll probably be kits available or some something similar to it available to the marketplace. But they basically put a fairing over the front, and they worked in a radiator grill from a 1932 BMW, I believe. Some year like that. Old, retro, you know. Oh, and, for sure, uh, yeah. So I got a link to that on the News Bites feed, and uh, it's a pretty cool-looking bike. And I think it's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to do something similar to it. Doggone, I wish we had a motorcycle show up here in the Northwest still. You know, maybe we'd get one or two of these in in the coming years. But Yeah, it's uh, almost like a uh, the Spirit of Passion bike. It's almost, I'm just looking at it right now, like a, a take on a 1930s bat cycle. Yeah. Right? It's like, like it's, a bat cycle. It looks like you could race it on the salt flats, too. Yeah, know? for sure. Yeah, it's amazing how much talent some of these builders have. And whoever did this was this Kingston Customs, I think. This is a bike I'm sure we're going to see wind up down in Los Angeles at the Peterson Auto Museum at some point. I would hope so, yeah. Or maybe uh, one of our local museums here would be cool to see this pass through. But where we won't see it wind up is at the top motorcycle museum in Austria, which had 200 really cherry vintage bikes on display and was destroyed by a fire. That is a bummer. You know, I don't know much about the the top motorcycle museum. I think this is the first time I've heard of it, but it must have uh, some reputation within the European community if it's got 220 motorcycles. Yeah, that was def- definitely like a destination location because it's 7,200 feet up in the, I believe it was in the Alps. I don't have my globe in front of me right now. but So this was a good place to, uh, to ride anyway. It's a, a place to ride your motorcycle to go look at more motorcycles in Europe. Yeah, now all you can do is ride up there and look at a burnt foundation. Yeah. Really a shame. Yeah, that is. And I, and I am assuming that not many bikes survived this, it sounds like. None. They Bummer. said it was a total devastation. Poof. It's not, it's not like they have a fire department nearby, you know. So by the time they were able to get up there and fight the fire, it, was, it, was, it had ravaged everything. Well, that is, uh, that's sad to hear. But um, you know, anytime, we, anytime we lose one of these museums, I hope something will will spring up to take its place, but it seems like that's less and less common these days. Yeah. Yeah, true. They usually just go and they're gone. Uh, well, this one's not going, but uh, they did have a fire as well. Uh, Laconia, New Hampshire, had a fire at the building where they store a lot of memorabilia, and they lost 50 years' worth of memorabilia in the fire. Man, what is going on? What Are, are we... Uh... Are these places, do they just not have fire protection systems, or is this just the life of museums in general? Yeah, you kind of wonder. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what was available in there, but it's not there anymore. Uh, my guess is on that, what they'll probably do is put up a list of everything that was lost in the fire, and hopefully they'll get some donations from people who have duplicates of those items. And then, yeah, by all means, please build a fire prevention system. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we hope, uh, you know, especially you know, we have some, some pretty great museums here in the Northwest. 
automotive, motorcycle, and aviation. I hope that uh, I hope everybody here kind of as and it seems like I mean we have some pretty well taken care of places here, but I hope that everybody kind of sees some of these uh, places going away and says, "Hey, let's double down on some of our protection and some of our um, prevention methods here." Yeah. Uh, this one I thought I was going to have to eat crow on, but uh, I'm not. I'm not going to eat crow. Um, you said on the show last month that you thought that Kawasaki might introduce a new KLR. And I said I didn't think so because we hadn't seen any spy photos going around. Uh, well, they announced a 2021 KLR. And I can't really say this is a new model. Uh, it certainly has some upgrades to it, but it's all the same design. The motor's the same technology going all the way back to the 1990s. Uh, they replaced the carburetor and put a fuel injection in. That was long overdue. Um, just brakes all the way around. Uh, what else did they oh, – they increased the fuel tank size by like a half a liter or half a gallon. But uh, I don't know. You don't think that's a new bike, do you? Uh, well, are you kidding me? This is all new KLR six fifty. <laughs> new graphics. Yeah, uh, you know it's, and I think I think officially they're calling this the twenty twenty two as well. But uh, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I was certainly a little underwhelmed when I saw the when I saw the release. But then thinking more about it, to be honest with you, well, two things. One, Kawasaki didn't promise us anything, right? They they never teased anything or said hey everybody hang on to your hats we're going to do something new when the uh klr650 quote went away but we all like we always do we we got in our heads a little bit and we tried to build up something and we started thinking about well maybe they're going to come out with a twin cylinder or maybe they're going to you know go after something completely new that 500 cc segment and give us something that's 350 pounds but kawasaki they never said boo about anything right right they just said it's going away and then uh, nothing, and then they just said one day, we're bringing it back, and here it is. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's that. It and was the same way, as it ever was. Uh, I said disc brakes, but I meant ABS. Right. Uh, but then secondly, too, you know, I think on a, on a scale of, uh, you know, 1 to 100 for what I want from the KLR, this is really, this is about an 85. Yeah. I mean, because it's like I don't want, uh, for me, a dream KLR would be still single-cylinder thumper. I'd like to get more closer to like 48 or 50 horsepower out of it, if that were possible. And then I'd like it to be a little svelter. I'd like it to be 399 pounds instead of 475. But I like that one comment on our Facebook page where the guy said, oink. Right. And there was a lot of that going on, <laughs> the, uh, on the message boards. But look, it's a, it's a $7,000 motorcycle. It's a tractor. It's rock-solid reliable. 470 pounds is 20 pounds more than the Tenere 700. I get it, but it's $3,000 less. And yeah, it's, it doesn't have a ton of uh, performance specifications, but that's not really the mission here. Um, so I give it, you know, like an 82 or an 85 out of a hundred. And even though I was part of that crowd that was building things up in my head and looking for something bigger and better, I think this is, this is what KLR is all about. So I, I'm not going to fault them too much for what they did here. Well, you know, if you buy an adventure bike with the idea that it's going to be a good bike for you on the pavement as well as off the pavement, you're probably on the right track with something like a KLR. Uh, the Tenere, same thing. 
Uh, we just don't have a lot of the the middle weight bikes out there right now that that are good choices. Probably the the you know I guess the BMWs are a good choice. I just I just can't afford to service them. But well, yeah, and that's it. That's the balance, right? I mean, and that's that's kind of KLR's sweet spot. You know, you've get a giant fuel tank, and uh, I also think I think worth mentioning on this as far as the upgrades. I don't think they've eliminated the whole doohickey thing that you used to have to do. So I think, was it the cam tensioner? Um, oh, right. So that's fixed. I it was my understanding anyway. So fuel injection, you don't have to take care of that seven grand for a brand new motorcycle. And if you're not, a guy who's, yeah, if you're not a guy who's going to be doing single track and you're not in a hurry to, to get anywhere, I mean, it's still a good value, and it's still a KLR. It's like I said, they didn't they didn't miss the mark by by any stretch of the imagination, as far as I'm concerned. Although I was a tad underwhelmed just because I wanted to see a new generation. Yeah, you wanted uh, to see something that looked 21st century. I, I did. and not even look honestly, just perform 21st century or more towards it. I I like the look of the KLR. I know that they're they're kind of beasts, but again. It's a tractor, I'm, and I, I'm cool with that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been running a little long on this segment. I guess the last thing we're going to say here, and I don't think there's much to talk about, but uh, Ducati has built 350,000 monsters now. The success of that motorcycle is – it really is uh, – it's unquestioned. I mean, it's a – there's a lot of uh, monster lovers out there. Yeah. I want to see more. If you've got a monster, you've got to come to the rally this summer. I want, I want a monster faction at the rally this there summer. There you go. I want to see the 350,000th. <laughs> yeah, I want all 350,000 of them at yeah. the rally. All right, let's take a little break. Um, we'll come back, and we'll do some discussion about the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by the Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com rally. Hi, this is Ian. I live in Seattle. I ride a Kawasaki Versus, and this summer I'm going to be riding off-road in the Oregon desert. Hi, this is Scott from Araya Americas, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. In studio, virtual studio here on the Sound Riders Show, and uh, we're going to jump into talking about cafe to cafe. But uh, we do want to give kind of a PSA about the calendar. So, Tom, why don't you let the listeners know? All right, so we don't have a calendar segment on the show once again. Um, there's a couple things you might want to know. Uh, what were those cancellations you were just running through there? Yeah, so it sounds like uh, for sure the Spokane Motorcycle Show, my understanding is that's not likely to happen, which usually goes on in March. And also the Desert 100, again, out here in Washington, um, that is going to be a no-go. That has been officially canceled. 
And those are the main ones that I have on my radar. Although now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm not sure specifically, but usually the PDX Film Fest, isn't that usually a thing? Yeah, that's not going to happen. They're going to reschedule that. Okay, so that's been pushed too. So those are a couple of of big ones that we usually kind of look forward to in the quote-unquote off-season or more towards the off-season. And it's going to be another quiet year. Yep. But uh, I did promise on the last show that I would get our calendar updated. And uh, as we had mentioned, there was a slew of track days that came in. So those are all posted now. You can see them, and there's links out to all the sites if you want to sign up for track day. Um, And uh, I want to encourage the listeners, if they know of an event that's going to happen this year, to uh, please submit it on the calendar page at soundwriter.com. And let's get your event posted so people know about it. 100%. Let's let people know what's going on. And that's my PSA. That's right. Well, <laughs> how about a uh, – let's go to another PSA. This one, a good one, though. Let's talk a little bit about one of the classic Soundwriter events, Cafe to Cafe. What do you say, Tom? I love that event. I, I think it's a, it's a perennial favorite, and really – it's th- this is uh, it's more important than ever now because a it's a distributed event right you can run it at your own pace so you don't have to worry about a lot of the uh, current logistical situations involved in events. Nope, and you but don't also, have to ride behind anybody or exactly go at your own pace. But also, you know, more so than ever now, a lot of these local establishments rely on uh, you know patronage and this is kind of a cool way to encourage people to do that safely especially as we get towards the warmer months where you can you know maybe grab a little bite to go and sit out in the park and enjoy life huh mhm definitely so where do you want to start let's actually let's start with the history of this how did you first let's tell people a little bit about in case they don't know what cafe to cafe is and then tell us a little bit about how it got started because I'm interested to know sort of the genesis of it all. Well, um, the basis of Cafe to Cafe is that uh, when you sign up, you'll get a list of typically 15 cafes in the Pacific Northwest that you need to ride to and photograph yourself in front of. Uh, That's the minimum requirement. Uh, If you hit all 15, then you get a special plaque that's uh, sort of personalized for you using one of your photographs and uh, noting that you completed all the cafes for that year. Um, And how it started was I was learning a lot about Grand Tours early in the the late 2000s, and uh, I thought, I'd like to put a Grand Tour together, but uh, I didn't didn't want to do the typical stuff like, you know, you got to go to the these these select post offices or uh, got to go stand under a street sign over here. And, you know, our sister publication is a food magazine. And I thought, well, you know, we sure. spend a lot of time out at restaurants all over the place, not just here in Seattle. And uh, we know a lot of cool little restaurants out there. So I kind of just worked it all together and came up with this idea for Cafe to Cafe. And we're going now, how many years running is this? This is, is the this? 12th year now. The 12th year in a row. And just so people are, are completely clear, cafe doesn't mean that you're just going to a coffee shop. There is much more to see, to eat, and to drink at these places. 
in a lot of in a lot of cases than just a, a cup of coffee to say you did it, right? Yeah, some some of them are uh, you know just sort of a low end cafe. We try not to put a lot of greasy spoons in there because we don't want you going out and eating all that stuff. Uh, some of them are pretty nice places. Uh, one year we had it up at the golf course out there uh, in uh, south of Bellevue. Really nice view across the, really across the Puget Sound from there. So you, you get some nice views, you get some nice food along the way. Uh, and we don't do the same cafes every year. It's always different cafes. Um, I thought about maybe doing a book this year. And then I thought, you know, this is not the year to do a book where we'd cover all the, the past cafes into one book. Sure. Because uh, some places aren't in business. They may be opening again later. We don't know. Others have yet to close, but they may close. So uh, this, this isn't a year that the book's going to come out, but we will get to that at some point. Yeah, I think that is definitely something you should do. But, you know, it, the emphasis, right, is that you're going to ride great roads to great places, and you may end up somewhere where you have, you know, a piece of prime rib, or you may end up somewhere where you just have a piece of fresh huckleberry pie, mm. and uh, you can see a little bit of it all. And you know, every year there's at least we just fifteen or more than a dozen places to go to. So, great roads, great food. I mean, yeah, you you did mention that about the roads, and that's something that I should probably say is when you get this list of these restaurants uh, under each restaurant listing and description. There's another description about a road that's nearby that you want to ride over to and uh, enjoy the corners in that road because there's some really great roads. And we even throw in a couple of dual sport ideas each time. And uh, how many Starbucks will we find on here every year? How many what? Starbucks. (laughs) We don't have any Starbucks (laughs) on there. But we have done some interesting stuff with chains before. Um, there's a, a chain up in Canada, and they have 13 locations. And we, we will typically put in the 15 locations plus a couple of bonus locations. So for that year, we uh, put the boathouse in and said, uh, you can go to as many boathouse locations as you want, and you'll score additional points. Everybody's going to win if they just hit the regular 15, but uh, if you want to get the extra bonus points and put those feathers in your cap, you could do that. And we actually had a couple of people who went and hit all 13 and who purchased food at all 13, so they got extra bonus points just for going and then additional bonus points when they purchase food. Well, we'll talk about the point uh, system here and the relevance of that in just a second, but uh, I'm curious – because you know, I know a lot of times these bonus locations are comparatively far flung. Like I seem to recall a few years ago there was one out in Wyoming, or close to it anyway. Yeah, but it was in Yellowstone. There you go. Uh, but do you have any favorite bonus locations from years past that you can share with us? Well, that was one of them because that was out at the lodge in Yellowstone that had they served the uh, bison burgers. Oh, nice. Yeah. You like uh, old wild Bill Hitchcock out there on your all-new 2022 KLR 650. <laughs> With ABS. With ABS, And fuel yeah. injection. Fuel injection, that's right. Um, um, anything else? Ones? I mean, how about Canada? Do you have anything in Canada? Because that can always be a tricky one when you're talking about 
decent restaurants and good Canadian riding roads. Sometimes those, those don't always go together. Well, so, you know, obviously in Canada, there's not a lot of great side roads in terms of volume of side roads that are available. Right. So, uh, but we, we do go and find those. And uh, uh, one of the things that I've found over the years is that golf courses are a great way to try and locate some of these out-of-the-way places because golf courses aren't always along the main highway. And so uh, you have to go into a resort area or something like that. And then typically on the golf course there somewhere, there's a really nice restaurant, uh, maybe a really nice view of a river right there. So uh, those have been some good ones along along the way Yeah, I there. think that's, that's a really neat suggestion. And my favorite way to golf is to go to the golf course, eat in the clubhouse, and not have to actually play because uh, miserable game. I'd much rather ride my motorcycle than uh, get out there on the links themselves. Oh, so you don't have one of those carriers affixed to your DR350 to, for your yeah. clubs? No, I put that in my Goldwing trailer. You know, I pull it up <laughs> with, uh, with Titleist balls, and I just uh, I head out there, so... No, but I think I think that's an interesting point, though. I mean, just for in general, if you're ever looking for an interesting Sunday afternoon ride, you know, maybe break out the map and look for a golf course because you probably find some decent roads to get out there. Yeah, that's that kind of. I think we've done that. We maybe done that tip and trick before. I don't know, but um, you know, if you're mapping out your your ride from A to Z, and you're trying to figure out, I don't want to go into downtown and have lunch. You know, like maybe I don't want to go into Bend, Oregon, or whatever. There's 15 golf courses around Bend, Oregon that all have restaurants in them, so you can find a good meal out out in the boondock somewhere and skip going into the big town. Yeah, great, uh, great point. Um, now, how about this though? Because you've done it for twelve years. Is there any? Uh, is there a restaurant out there that has closed down that uh, you just you miss that you really wish was still around because of the the riding to get out there or the food once you arrive there? I'm sure there's been some turnover. I know it's hard to keep track of, but is there anything that uh, that you recall where you go, man? I really wish that this place was still around. Oh yeah, there's there's a number of them, but there's one that always breaks my heart, and I keep crossing my fingers they're going to get it open again. It's called the Viewpoint Inn, right around the corner from the Vista House in Oregon, uh-huh. along the historic Highway 30, and that was a uh, bed and breakfast with a really nice restaurant in it. Chef they had at the time was awesome, and uh, great view looking down onto the Columbia River from there. And then it closed. Well, I had a little fire, and that was the end of it. But uh, it's under new ownership, and we're just hoping that one day they finish the rebuild on it and get it back open again. And then you never know what's going to happen. Is the chef going to be as good as the one that was there? Uh, Are they able to access the old recipes and the old menus from before? And will they will they stick with that? So you never know. Yes, well, from a riding uh, standpoint, Vista House never disappoints. If you're in Oregon, no. you have to. You should make that trip at least once a year if you're out here in the Pacific Northwest, and you won't be disappointed. Yep, there's a little restaurant out in Mosier, Oregon, that has changed hands probably a half a dozen times over the last twelve years. Um, I don't know what it's called right now, but it was uh, it was quite good and. Uh, and I know the last time it changed hands, it was a couple of people from the East Coast had come in, and they, they knew their way around the restaurant industry. So they did a redo in the place. It was really nice. So I'm going to keep watching that location, and we'll 
probably get them on there some year again. There you go. Just uh, keep that in mind for the future. Now, you mentioned a little bit about you know going to these bonus locations and buying food and how that plays into sort of a point system. That's kind of one of the neat sort of uh, sub-adventures on Cafe to Cafe because you can always, of course, you know, join in and just ride to some of these destinations. Or you can put a little bit of a friendly competitive slant to it and kind of get on in on a little bit of a competition. So let's talk about the point system a little bit. So with the, uh, with the 15 locations, you score a point for every one that you photograph yourself in front of. And then you score an additional point if you go inside and purchase food or beverage. Uh, and I have people who will just go in and buy a Coke, and then they'll leave. So they've scored two points at that point. Uh, you don't have to eat at them. If you just get the 15 points for visiting each one, you get the, you get the certificate. But we have little bonus goodies that, go, uh, that the people get if they have the additional points. Sometimes that's books or shirts or whatever. But, um, uh, and then the same thing with the bonus locations. So like I said, you know, if we, if we throw a chain in on the bonus locations now, you could really score a lot of points. Uh, we did – oh, I know we used Burgerville one year as one of the oh, chains. Oh, yeah. So, and if people are listening from outside of the Northwest, that probably won't make much sense. But Burgerville is, I guess, a your standard fast food burger chain. But there's what maybe a dozen locations here. Yeah, more, probably more than that in uh, Oregon and Washington. But, yeah, they're up uh, all up in, in through Oregon and uh, into Lower uh, Washington around the Clark County area. Right, and kind of known for their uh, Northwestern centric burger and fry menu with of course the obligatory huckleberry shake i think (laughs) and there's a good one of those up in uh trout lake in washington there's the little i don't know what they call it now it used to be called kj's then they called it the station and uh they have really good huckleberry shakes you get there during huckleberry season yeah you want to get those at, at peak ripeness the huckleberry certainly um so now, though, after people have gone through, and this usually this kicks off when, and when does it sort of officially end? So we send out the uh, everybody who buys uh, registration in advance. It gets mailed to them on the last day of February, and then uh, they can start riding them the first of March, and uh, hit any of those locations anytime between March and the end of September. So really, got seven months to do this. And uh, people will typically kind of map them all out, and then uh, they might go hit everything out in, uh, you know, so out on the east side of Oregon or Idaho. They might hit all that in one trip, and then they'll go hit anything up in the Puget Sound area. A lot of times, people will start with a couple of locations in the Puget Sound just because it's still still winter when we start this. <laughs> yeah, and I it, I just really want to emphasize too for people who are new to this that. You sign up, you get the locations, and you go at your own pace. So a lot of times in the past, folks will dedicate maybe you know two weeks, and they'll be riding around, and they'll, they'll pick, pick these off as they go. Or sometimes people will say, hey, we want to do one a weekend, or you know, we only want to do five throughout the year. It's really up to you, which is kind of one of the greatest things about this. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if there's going to be like a major rally somewhere, we usually pick a few locations along 
the route to get to that rally. So like this year with the BMW rally over in Great Falls, Montana, uh, we got a few locations you can nail just by going on uh, I-90 and getting off the freeway a couple times. And uh, you can you can hit those locations. You might have to you might have to ride another hundred miles north somewhere to get to one, but uh, it's not like you're just making a trip out there just to go to that restaurant. You're gonna you're gonna go to the BMW rally and you're gonna get things done. You know, that's right. Yeah, you're gonna enjoy life a little bit. And then in October, when this all officially wraps up, you mentioned Cafe Veloce a little bit earlier in the show. How about uh, you know? A little celebratory joining of like minds, maybe, right? That's always part of the tradition. So all the winners are invited to come out to a restaurant location and uh, join us for the awards where we where we have – I'm not going to say it's a ceremony, but <laughs> it's the awards luncheon. And uh, in years past, we've used Cafe Veloce. Uh, what I will typically do is kind of map out where all the winners live, and then I'll just draw lines all over the place between the furthest east, furthest west, furthest north, furthest south. And somewhere in there, I get a center point, and uh, one year, it ended up being uh, Tacoma. So we put it at a restaurant out on the water in Tacoma, and uh, we, ch- we, we had it out in the middle of Washington State one year. Uh, it's just, you know, we change that around too. So, but that of course is just part of the fun and another reason to get involved. And right now you can sign up, right? I mean, it's up on the website. Let's tell people a little bit where they can, uh, where they can join, how much it costs and when to get started. It's, uh, I believe it's $49 this year. And, um, you go to the soundwriter.com and you can either click on the store link and then hit events, and Cafe to Cafe will be there. Um, we'll actually be adding uh, a link to the Cafe to Cafe page so people can read about this year's tour a little bit and a little more history, you know, like what we're talking about here, uh, a little more understanding. Uh, a lot of people will just sign up just to get the list of the restaurants. They're not really interested in competing and trying to get to them all, but they're always looking for... Uh, something new to go to. These are all destination locations. So uh, we're, we have a lot of fun revealing these out-of-the-way places to people. Yeah, and I think, uh, like I said, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Soundrider events because you can ride at your own pace. You get to experience 15 great dining locations all throughout the Pacific Northwest plus that mysterious bonus location. And for 49 bucks, I mean, how much more fun could you possibly have for $49 than this? I mean, you got, you could, this is rides for an entire year. Oh, yeah. Some people, this is the only riding they do because it fills up all their riding time if they want to hit all 15. And I think if uh, you, once you sign up and you get the list revealed to you, you may not be able to make it work with vacation time, but I think you'll certainly be inclined to try to get to as many as you can. Yep, and you'll always have that list. So if you want to pull it out next year when you go do some riding, you can do that. Just, and you know, just make sure you call everybody in advance. Make sure they're they're still alive. Right. Yeah. You want to yeah check in, see their maybe their Facebook page if there's some recent posts on there, or their Instagram account, and uh, 
Well, and even if you don't, you know what? Even if you miss it, who cares? Then you go, you, you have a great ride, and you find some other place to go. You know, get out there and enjoy it one way or the other, I'd say. Well, and that's the thing. Once you're, once you're registered, then we have your email, and we'll send you out updates if necessary. So if a restaurant closes down midway, of course, this has happened several times, uh, then we're going to give you what the alternate location is going to be, and then you'll know. Uh, we do keep a, a rolling news feed on the Cafe to Cafe page, and we put those changes in there as well. So it's always good to check that stuff before you go for your next ride, just to make sure that we didn't change the location. We only, we've only had to do that a few times, but it, 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 it happens. Well, all in all, like I said, one of my favorite events, and uh, my advice to the listeners would be to get a new set of tires installed, Head down to the REI and buy yourself a titanium spork and then go over to the Soundrider store and sign up for the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour of 2021. 49 bucks and more fun than you're going to be able to handle this year, I think. Yep. And with restaurants opening up here and there now, uh, you're going to be able to eat inside this year and that'll be nice. All righty. Um, we got some tips and tricks we're going to do. So let's take a little break and when we come back, we'll get into those. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Cycle Barn of Smoky Point, your destination location for all things Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, and KTM. Featuring a large showroom and fully staffed service area, the Smoky Point Cycle Barn is the place to come and compare all the latest models, have your bike serviced, and shop for aftermarket apparel and parts. Visit them online at cyclebarn.com. Hi, I'm Ron Fox. I live on the Kitsap Peninsula in the town of Polsbo. My favorite ride down here is the Vista House. The curves are great, the road is in great shape, and it is fun. Hi, everybody. This is Ryan Brown from Seattle Cycle Center, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. And welcome back to The Sound Rider Show, where you know that we would never leave you without some extra tips and tricks. Although I feel like for February, this one has already been kind of packed full of Lots of good information out there, but, you know, we got to stay dedicated to the format, and we want to go with some real dedication to our tips and tricks this month. So, Tom, let's hear it. What do you got? Well, you know, when I am out on the road, um, not I, – well, I like to take a um, – I like to take some music with me, you know? Yeah. And uh, – Got your Microsoft Zoom all fired up, right? Latest edition, miss, 2011. I miss using my Zoom, but the nice thing about the Zoom was that the music was always in there. You didn't have to download it. You already did that at home, and um, and it was there. Nowadays, with like Spotify and Pandora, uh, those things aren't always necessarily loaded on your phone, the playlists that you have. And so if you forget to download the playlist, all of a sudden you get out and you're like, oh, darn, I don't have any right. music. You have to wait until you hit, get somewhere with Wi-Fi. Uh, it can get a little expensive if you're downloading over uh, a cell connection. Yeah, well, the last thing you want to do is be stuck out in the wild on your motorcycle without Steppenwolf's greatest hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I like to take a little portable speaker with me, not be annoying at the campground, but just have some music going on lightly in the background. And, uh, yeah, I just travel with an acapella group. We're real annoying at camp. Oh, there you go. In your goal wing, right there in there with yeah, your golf clubs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do? What do you do for music when you're out on the road? You know, I've got it all down with my phone. I'm an Amazon Music subscriber, and that also gives you the ability to download tracks uh, directly. So 
you know, I've experienced with some Bluetooth helmets a little bit in the past, and I, I never had anything that had great sound, so I kind of got away with that, although I know things have come a long way recently. Um, but, yeah, right on the phone. That's, that's my usual go-to. Yeah. You're taking a little speaker with you? You know, I've never done that. I, I've got my Bluetooth headphones now. Oh, okay, so I'm yeah. just walking around with those in. Yeah, I got some nice Bluetooth headphones for like 40 bucks the other day. They're made by a company called Dowtronics. And uh, they're, they're, they're the kind of just, they're wireless and they sit, they have a little band that sits on your shoulder. And uh, they, they work pretty well with my iPod or my iPhone in terms of the Bluetooth connection where I can skip tracks ahead, that sort of thing. Some of them you can't, you know, but, but some you can. So Yeah, things have come a long ways, and you're right. That $40 to $50 price point will really get you a solid pair of headphones now that are Bluetooth connected. And Bluetooth connections have come a long way. I remember the early days, you'd have to, you know, sit there and listen to the mechanical voice go, pairing, pairing, and you go back and forth on that <laughs> like a half a dozen times. But yeah. now things are dialed in pretty well. Yeah, and that's another nice thing with this Daltronics uh phones they they pair right away as soon as you light them up it says uh, you know power on and then the next thing here is paired so a lot smoother yeah for sure so what do you got but, uh so for me for this month you know i was thinking about we got a little bit of colder weather here but towards the end of the season last year i started doing this thing where uh i bring along i bought a 16 ounce thermos and at the end of the day, before I get to the campground now, what I like to do is I like to go to a coffee shop and put that hot coffee in the night before. So when I'm breaking down camp in the morning, I don't have to go through and set up a, a camp stove or anything like that to get a hot beverage. I've got my hot tea or my hot coffee preloaded the night before, and I can just roll out of bed and I can have sort of a cold breakfast with a hot cup of coffee. And I tell you what, it's a life changer. It makes things so much easier. And then you save a little bit for midday. You get that little caffeine boost when you stop for lunch. And oh man, if you're, you know, if you like a little caffeine, that makes life so much nicer. So my tip this month is go and get yourself a lightweight 16 ounce thermos. It's it, really small and packable. And now you, you got to tell it. us what, yeah. who is the manufacturer of this thermos that you have? Thermos. Thermos. Okay, yes. so they really get like a twelve-hour. They can they can hold heat for that long. Yep, they That's will a long hold heat. time. I know, but they'll they'll hold it pretty well, especially if you're rolling in and you're going to fill up on gas the night before. And then, uh, like I said, when you roll out in the morning, you can even just do hot water in there if you want to do the instant coffee thing. Because you know sometimes thermoses will take on that coffee smell for everything. So you can even just do hot water and then some instant Starbucks freeze-dried crystals in the morning. And uh, put that in your mug, and you're ready to go. Hmm. Interesting. I got a clean like canteen. I haven't tested how long it will, you know. I got, I got the uh, laser thermometer. I could actually do like a hour-by-hour hour test of that and see how, you go. how it retains heat. On the uh, next episode of Sound Riders Mythbusters, we check how long thermoses retain heat. You ever put that... Uh, Thermos in the sleeping bag with you in case you get cold? Oh, uh, well, you know, thermoses, not so much, but I, I know a lot of people who will do that with just a, like a hot water bottle, right? Because you can, um, the heat transfer, what they see, you're supposed to put it between like your thighs or whatever, right? Yeah, they got those little uh, packets you can buy too, the hot hands. The oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. They come in handy for that. 
Yeah, I just like to. I bring like about a hundred of those, and I just sleep on top of them. <laughs> <laughs> like sleeping on hot coals at that yeah, point. I don't even bring a sleeping bag. I just I scrunch a few of them up, and I just go for it, man. <laughs> All right. All right, folks, we've reached the end of the February show, and uh, we'll be back in March. We'll have more updates on the calendar, uh, more updates on events that are happening, more news bites, and uh, more bench racing for sure. Of course, never enough bench racing. All right, we want you to ride safe, ride well, ride often, and we'll see you back here in March. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.